This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We've never been through anything like this before in our lifetimes. You can point back and say, well, 100 years ago, yeah, but even then it was a little bit different. This pandemic that is going on is new. And it exposes some strengths. It also exposes some weaknesses. Some of those strengths are our scientific community and how quickly things have come together. If you look back to March and April, there was hope that we might have some treatment or vaccine news before the end of 2020. But that was hope. You can hope for a lot of things. You hope you win the lottery. You probably won't. So that was kind of far-fetched. But look at what the scientific community has done. Look at some of the announcements that we are seeing. We're seeing some of that stuff happen. So there have been some real strengths. And the cooperation of the scientific community worldwide, amazing, incredible. In a polarized world, and we live in a polarized world right now, It is nice to see something that does not have any kind of separation and faction. And the scientific community has not had that. At the same time, there have been some weaknesses that have been shown through all of this. And we want to focus in on some of the things that have been documented. Some of the things that maybe we look at and say, yeah, you know what? If this ever happens again, here's what you got to look out for. Leave a note, put together a time capsule for 100 years from now or 50 years from now or who knows, 10 years from now, could happen again. So that we know, let's make sure that we have this in mind as we go into another pandemic. And Western alumni has been working with words, the literary literary and creative arts festival, and they have put together something called the Forgotten Ones. And you will be able to view this through westernconnect.ca coming up tomorrow night between 7 and 8. It is absolutely free. It is absolutely virtual. And we wanted to get a little bit of a preview. And we're able to do that. We are incredibly lucky right now to have three individuals from not just our scientific community, but from our local scientific community. We have Dr. Prachi Srivastava, who's a professor in Western's Faculty of Education and a thought leader in the field of global education. We have Dr. Kate Choi, professor in Western's Department of Sociology and the acting director of the Center for Research on Social Inequality. And we have Dr. Eric Arts, who is the Canada Research Chair in HIV Pathogenesis and Viral Control and a professor at Western Schulich School of Medicine and Dentistry. And we're going to spend the next let's say 50 minutes plus we'll keep you up to date with news and we'll take a couple of commercial breaks but we're going to look at some of the things that we need to know about the forgotten and untold and unseen consequences of COVID-19. So welcome 
to London Live, Dr. Srivastava and Dr. Choi and Dr. Arts. Thank you so much for being here. And maybe, Dr. Srivastava, we could start with you because education is one of those things that does not leave us, and it's something that, that we need to think about all the time. When we look at how things have been going and, and some of the things that we've got to keep in mind from an education perspective, where would you start? Firstly, uh, thank you for having me. Thank you for having all of us, and especially I'm so happy to be here with my colleagues. Um, this is um, this is the question that I think, um, well, for me anyway, it's been keeping me up at night. I know it's been keeping a lot of our parents up at night as well, um, any of us that are directly involved in the education system. I think, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to say some things that are shocking and um, and I don't mean to be shocking. I don't mean to be a fear monger. I'm just reporting facts and data. And um, because they are facts and data, it's it makes it even more shocking. So I think the extent of the impact of the school closures, um, you know, affected because of COVID-19 has not been fully appreciated, neither in the global community and certainly not here in Ontario. Um, there are uh, there's a, a modeling study that has just come out in the last m- month and a half or so, which estimates that just four months of school closures can result in a net lifetime earning loss of 10.6 trillion dollars globally. So the cohort of students globally around the world that have been affected by school closures, this is a long-term issue, and that is the first estimate that we see. Here in Canada, for the class of 2020, um, children, students graduating from high school, college, and from university, um, a a profile (coughs) put out by Statistics Canada to suggest that they may lose between $20,000 to $40,000 in their income over the next five years. So this, the magnitude of the impact of what we're seeing is much beyond the logistics of what has been discussed around education. And in education, we focus very much on the logistics, which is important. You know, how do we open schools? How do we keep them open? And some of that is logistical. But a lot of it, we really have to think about systems we have to think about who this is going to impact, for how long. And I know that, you know, my colleague, um, Dr. Kate Choi, has been doing so much work on looking at the racialized, in, um, you know, uh, impact of COVID-19. And, and what we're going to see is that all of these impacts are going to affect certain communities, certain households, certain individuals more than others. Before we get to Dr. Choi, Dr. Srivastava, when you say that we're going to see the graduating class of 2020 losing out on, on income, how do we project that even now when we're still trying to figure out how all of this is, is working? Where do those projections fit? So the, the projections are coming from an estimation of the impact of um, the pandemic on our economy what that might mean in terms of uh, not just job losses, but in terms of unemployment for youth. 
And then there is also a learning loss. So the global projection that I that I quoted to you, the ten point six trillion dollar um, projection, that also includes um, a reduction in terms of the quality of learning that happens. Right. So so as children and students are in school, when it is consistent, and when we are when they are not burdened with all of the other impacts that we're seeing you know, affecting families, affecting societies, then there's a consistent level, a consistent level of quality that is, de- that is delivered by our schooling systems. And in Canada, we are very lucky that we entered the pandemic in, in good stead regarding our education system, relatively good stead. Of course, there are gaps and there, there have been gaps. And where there have been gaps, it's going, those communities and those households and those individuals are going to, you know, um, see that deepen as a result of the pandemic. But globally, we were, we were doing pretty well. The issue, though, is when you have an interruption and when it is a sustained interruption and when the interruption is not mitigated by things like reforming the curriculum and thinking about uh, a reformed school year, for example, do we need to add on extra time? Should we reconsider this idea of automatically promoting in elementary school? There are lots of questions that one can ask. When we don't do those things, what we see is a consistent drop in the quality that's delivered as well. So you have to think about the quality issues. You have to think about the societal issues that um, households are facing. And you also have to think about the systems issues in terms of education. Is it being properly resourced? Are we investing the resources that we need to mitigate some of that loss. Now, one of the other shocking figures that I'm going to tell you right now, because I think it's very important in terms of the investment, is that the, 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 the income loss that I, that I mentioned in terms of just the four months of school closures, for a high-income country like Canada and the U.S., that can result in, for just this year's GDP, and, you know, the GDP measures the health and wealth of our, you know, the, the, the economic health of our country is, is usually measured by a number of indicators, one being the GDP, the gross domestic product. That number might go down by 6%. What does that mean? That means if we do a rough estimate, four months of school closures may result in a loss of $85 billion in our economy. So when we talk about investments and investments in education, it was costed here in Ontario that it would cost us about $3 billion to do a, a safer school plan. If you, and, and at that time, people were talking about scarce resources and resource constraints. But to me, it's a no-brainer. You know, if it's going to cost us $3 billion to recoup some of that GDP loss, this is a good investment. We need to make it now. We're talking with Dr. Prachi Srivastava, who is a professor in Western's Faculty of Education, thought leader in the field of global education. We're going to hear from Dr. Kate Choi, professor in Western's Department of Sociology and the director of the Center for Research on Social Inequality. And we're going to hear from Dr. Eric Arts, who's the Canada Research Chair in HIV Pathogenesis and Viral Control. And what we're doing is giving a bit of a preview, just a little one, of a conversation that will happen tomorrow in a panel form 
Forgotten Ones, Untold and Unseen Consequences of COVID-19, which you can access through westernconnect.ca. It is free, and it looks at all of these things. And already we've heard Dr. Srivastava lay some pretty big numbers on us and some pretty big effects on us. We know that there are consequences of COVID-19. We've already had them. What about long-lasting consequences? What do we need to be on the lookout for? It's part of our discussion right now as we talk about untold and unseen consequences of COVID-19. There is tomorrow night a moderated discussion that will be taking place completely free at westernconnect.ca, and I've tweeted out the link to everything, and it involves three Western researchers, Dr. Prachi Srivastava, Dr. Kate Choi, and Dr. Eric Arts, and we are lucky enough to have them with us right now. Dr. Srivastava has just outlined some of the consequences that even that pause in education that we had in the spring and some of the changes that we've had to the way education has worked so far and what that can do. Dr. Choi, you've been looking at things from a social inequality perspective and maybe we could start with things like education and then go into other areas what sorts of things have you seen so um thank you first and foremost mike thank you very much for having me on your show and what we're discovering right now with this particular pandemic is although initially we thought about it as the great equalizer affecting the affluent and the poor alike, things are far from the truth. And what we see in various different dimensions of inequality that is being amplified uh, as a result of the pandemic, if we are to take things like education, we, for, we see uh, educational inequalities, a trajectory of that increasing over time. So if we think about online learning, for example, we uh, know based on a Pew report that came out in April that low-income parents are really concerned about, about the fact that their children may fall in behind because they may not have the internet or the computing resources necessary for their children to engage properly in online learning. It's also the case that a lot of schools located in low-income neighborhoods, for example, perhaps do not have the personnel that can actually uh, effectively manage online classes. As a result, a lot of parents in these particular neighborhoods are reporting that their children are not getting enough online digital learning materials. If we move to older individuals, particularly the freshman class, uh, it seems to be the case that freshman enrollment rate this year has dropped, but it has dropped significantly more so for racial minorities such as Blacks, Hispanics, and Native Americans. And it has dropped at about twice the different uh, rate, partially reflecting the fact that these individuals may have parents who may have actually lost their jobs at higher rates as a result of the economic fallout resulting due to COVID-19. But inequality doesn't only stop there. There's also health inequality as well as economic uh, condition differentials. 
We know that COVID-19 infection and death rates are higher in poor neighborhoods. They're higher in neighborhoods with higher shares of racial minorities, immigrants, and elderly. Um, We also know that the economic impacts of COVID-19 have been greater for these disadvantaged groups as well. Uh, For example, um, COVID-19, ever since uh, recession data was collected in 1949, is the first pandemic where the economic fallout of it uh, and the economic recession has affected women more than men. On average, most recessions affect men more because it affects industries like construction and so forth. But this is the first time that... uh, we have seen a what economists have termed a she-session, for example, and women are losing um, a lot of jobs at higher rates and a lot of the gender equality in pay, for example, that has been gained since the 1970s is rapidly eroding because of the economic fallout of the pandemic that has resulted over the last eight months, for example. And Dr. Choi, when we look at that, the she session that you point to, there may be people saying, well, in terms of having to work out child care, sometimes mom is going to choose to stay home maybe more quickly than dad, that, that it might lend it to that. But you're looking at actual changes in the workforce. This may not be a choice in a family. This is something that is happening where more women are being affected in the job force than than just choosing to make changes? That is correct. Some of the employment uh, rate uh, gaps, unemployment rate gaps by gender may occur because of childcare. But independent of that, what we are seeing is that industries where women work at a higher rate than men do, like, for example, the travel industry that employs more women than men, those things have been affected a lot more as a result of the economic fallout due to the pandemic. And as a result, you can see that independent of childcare needs and the fact that women on average spend a lot more time caring for their children, women are losing their jobs at higher rates and, and involuntarily doing so. Hmm. And then, You also mentioned the fact that if you are in a community that maybe experiences more poverty, that tends to see a greater effect of the virus. Do we know why that correlation exists? Because that's one that we heard about very quickly and very early on in the pandemic. There are three reasons. First and foremost, residents of low-income neighborhoods are disproportionately represented in frontline among frontline workers. And while the economy uh, lo- shut down during the peak of the first pandemic, these individuals still had to go to work. And the types of work that they had did not allow them to telecommute. They had to be physically present there. And as a result, they had greater exposure to COVID-19 viruses themselves. And they were also placing their families at greater risk to COVID-19. The second reason has to do with unmet health care needs. It's often the case that lesser educated individuals wait for longer periods of time before going to the doctor and receiving medical care. It's also the case 
that even if medical care is available, they often rely on urban center medical uh, centers where they have longer wait times and perhaps there isn't as much uh, resources in terms of both personnel as well as things like uh, pharmaceuticals. And as a result, they have greater unmet health care needs that result in higher pre-existing conditions and and therefore, which in turn increases their risk for severe COVID-19 infection. The third has to do with the neighborhood amenities that exist in low-income neighborhoods. We know that they have fewer health-promoting amenities and they have more undesirable amenities. And for example, in order to be able to adequately physically distance, you need sidewalks that are wide enough and are well-maintained for different people to walk uh, with each other at a six-foot apart distance. A lot of uh, middle-income neighborhoods may potentially have that particular resource, but we're not necessarily seeing that in a lot of low-income neighborhoods. Uh, And as a result of these three characteristics, people who reside in low-income neighborhoods are significantly more likely to be infected with COVID-19 and potentially have more severe forms of COVID-19. Wow. Well, Dr. Choi, thank you for that information. We're talking right now with Dr. Kate Choi, with Dr. Prachi Srivastava, and also with Dr. Eric Arts, and all three will be participating tomorrow night in something that's been put together by Western Alumni in partnership with WORDS, the Literary and Creative Arts Festival. It is a virtual, moderated discussion, and it's going to be talking even more at length about the things that we have been focusing on right now. You can find the link to it. It's completely free. You can find the link to it on my Twitter feed at Stubbs980. We'll take a quick break for news. We'll talk with Dr. Arts when we come back, and we'll focus in on a couple of other things. We've looked at education, and we have looked at social inequality. We're going to look at vaccines as well, but all of these become part of a greater umbrella of untold and unseen consequences of COVID-19. When you're dealing with something you've never dealt with before, it's very difficult to say, yeah, we got this. We, we know what's going on. But we really have some things that are coming to the surface that Dr. Srivastava and Dr. Choi have outlined that we need to pay very close attention to, pandemic or no pandemic. We are lucky enough to be able to give a bit of a preview of an event that is happening tomorrow night that is going to feature our three esteemed guests, Dr. Eric Arts, Dr. Kate Choi, and Dr. Prachi Srivastava. And it is going to be happening for free at westernconnect.ca. You can go to my Twitter feed at Stubbs980, and you can see the link to it if you want to take part. Happens between 7 and 8 o'clock tomorrow. Happens virtually. And we've been talking about untold and unseen consequences of COVID-19, which is the title of what will be a moderated discussion tomorrow night. We've looked at education, and we've looked at the impact of social inequality and some of the reasons why some areas and some populations have been hit hardest by COVID-19, what the prospects are for even 2020 graduates 
because of the school shutdown in the spring and because of the transformation in education so far this year. We also have an opportunity to talk a little bit about vaccines and vaccine delivery and how that's going to play out. Dr. Eric Arts is the Canada Research Chair in HIV Pathogenesis and Viral Control and is a part of Western Schulich School of Medicine and Dentistry. And Dr. Arts, when we start hearing things about, hey, Pfizer, hey, Moderna, they're seeing positive results, immediately we start saying, okay, where do I line up if you want the vaccine? Or you'll have the part of the population that will say, as we talked about earlier on London Live, uh, I'm not going to try it, you try it. I'm not going to try it, you try it. And we get the Mikey Life Serial commercial. Dr. Arts, when you look at where things sit right now, in the world of vaccines, what is catching your eye? Well, I, I mean, I like everyone else, I was extremely excited over the last week about the announcements from Moderna and Pfizer. I mean, these are great, great accomplishments and in a very timely fashion. Uh, but I think the true challenges that you pointed out is trying to get this vaccine distributed. Um, the vaccine is, of course, only effective for those who actually get the vaccine. And we, unfortunately, over the last decade or more, we've developed this anti-vaxxer movement that is problematic. Um, it's interesting, in my classes, I, I teach about the anti-vaxxer movement. And for the most part, the anti-vaxxer movement is highly educated um, people of mostly liberal mindset that uh, believe that vaccines could be problematic to their health or the health of individuals in their families, um, which is not based largely on fact, which is always very difficult to quite understand how this uh, developed. So in one way, uh, getting vaccine distribution to lower income populations, often the uptake of that vaccine is much higher uh, in lower income populations than in the high income uh, highly educated populations, which is a dichotomy that uh, baffles me to this day. Um, but at the same time, um, we do have a real problem in distribution because of the nature of this vaccine and this cold chain, as we call it, trying to get the vaccine out to the populations and the access of uh, low-income populations and marginalized populations to access uh, these medical services and to get vaccinated. Um, I think certain countries will do a better job than others. I think Canada is one of those, which I hope will be able to distribute it uh, very effectively and fairly. But in other countries, uh, like our neighbors to the south, it's a much greater challenge. And I should say that even in Canada, we, we were presented with this challenge of access to medical care. And we see this with this weird dichotomy again where we're faced with this horrible COVID-19 pandemic and yet what we're also seeing is increases in HIV infections and other infectious diseases um, because of limited access to healthcare, and especially by those people in impoverished communities. And this is even worse and horrific in, in when we look at it globally. Um, We've made great, great strides in providing treatment for malaria and TB and HIV. And we've de decreased the amount of deaths 
you know, in 2000, close to 6 million people died of those three diseases per year. And we're down to about 2.5 million now. But that is anticipated to increase again, just because of the impact of COVID. So no longer does just COVID responsible probably for about 1.5 to 2 million deaths in this calendar year, but it's also going to increase the mortality to these other infectious diseases just because of limited access and drug distribution um, across the globe. So I'm really worried about um, getting this vaccine to the low-income countries and getting it distributed ineffectively. I mean, many people don't realize this, but we are still, we still have not eradicated polio despite the vaccine being available for 60, close to 70 years. And the places that we have the hardest time in accessing vaccinations are those places in the world that have um, some of the lowest poverty rates in the world. And this does not bode well when we look at the fact that we need to vaccinate everyone on this planet in order to really effectively eliminate the disease. And if we have pockets in low-income countries or even in our own population that remain unvaccinated, we will still have the potential of this um, spreading um, globally uh, and in, in, in waves, as we see with flu. I mean, with flu, we need to vaccinate pretty well every year because there's new strains appearing. So I hope um, that the world will come together and we are seeing that already, funds being provided by the Canadian government, by many governments around the world, to ensure that those low-income countries will have access to the vaccine. But it's also a little disturbing that certain countries like the U.S. haven't contributed to that fund. And so I hope that will change soon. Wow. Dr. Eric Arts joining us as we give a little bit of a preview to something that you can get the entire picture from tomorrow, which is a moderated discussion on forgotten ones, untold and unseen consequences of COVID-19 between 7 and 8. It will be held through westernconnect.ca. You can find it there. That's westernconnect.ca. And Dr. Arts, you paint such a unique picture. I don't know that we've allowed ourselves to think far enough into the future that we all think, okay, well, they'll get a vaccine done, or hopefully they get a vaccine done, and then we'll spread it around the world, and COVID will be a thing of the past. But, I mean, we can look at anything. We look at HIV and the troubles that the continent of Africa has with it, or Ebola and the troubles that the continent of Africa has. Is it possible to think that around the world we could have pockets of populations that still are dealing with and suffering from COVID-19 and, and that keeps it alive? Yeah, it is, it is quite possible anywhere. Uh, I mean, the one really strong news, and there's, very a lot, there's a lot of positives to take about the announcements this week. One is the effectiveness of a vaccine. So there's very few vaccines available uh, that show that level of effectiveness. And yeah, we still have to wait for final data, but it's, it's very, very promising. Uh, the second big advantage to what we're seeing today is um, basically we've, we've jumped into a completely novel approach for vaccines. And this vaccine 
I think is going to be safer and more effective than any vaccine we've seen to date. And that's that's amazing. And it will hopefully revolutionize the way we utilize vaccines in the future. But again, it's distribution. And, and unfortunately, this particular vaccine, because it requires a cold chain, um, will be difficult to distribute. And there will be populations that will be very slow to get fully immunized. And you can almost guess as to where those populations would be, probably regions of like, you know, Southeast Asia and um, like Bangladesh or Sub-Saharan Africa, like the country I work in a lot, Uganda. These are areas where, um, fortunately, in some ways, because they've been dealing with so many infectious disease crises, have a, a fairly good infrastructure to deliver. But will they get the vaccine? Will they get the funding to deliver it? Because right now the whole world is focused on their own problem. And despite the fact that the cost of doing these things is minimal compared to what we spend on military and a whole bunch of other things, um, we're very will unwilling to part with our funding to help these countries to deliver vaccines. And, and this is not... Um, purely altruistic. This is for our own good as well, because in some ways, if we don't eradicate the virus in these pockets of the world, with the way we travel in the world today, it will just come back. And flu is a great example. Flu almost always starts in, in Southeast Asia uh, and spreads around the globe and comes back just about every year. Fortunately, with coronavirus, and that's what people have to realize, um, in particular with SARS-CoV-2, it evolves very, very slowly. So the likelihood of us getting a new strain that jumps into the population in relation to this existing strain is, is small. However, we have to be careful in future on the way we deal with wildlife to avoid these new jumps. But yes, again, to answer your question long, the long way is, it is not effective. Uh, a vaccine is not effective if we don't vaccinate. And it's not effective if people are unwilling to be vaccinated. And it's not effective if we can't get the vaccine to impoverish marginalized populations. Wow. Well, we know that we still have a whole lot in front of us, but the three of you have done such outstanding work. And as we started off with at the beginning, as polarized as parts of our world are and parts of our thinking have become the science community and the cooperation that exists and the work that's been done is phenomenal. And I know that the three of you and others have had exhausting days and nights in getting things done. So thank you to all three of you and please keep up the great work and enjoy tomorrow night. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's Dr. Eric Arts. Dr. Kate Choi, and Dr. Prachi Srivastava. And all three are involved in, in very different things, but at the same time, very similar things, whether it's education or whether it is social inequality or whether it is the vaccine and getting the vaccine out and dealing with delivery methods and everything that comes with that, uh, they continue to work toward a solution or dealing with some of the issues that COVID-19 will leave behind. 
as far as social inequality is laid out and as far as education is laid out. So thank you to all three. Remember, tomorrow, westernconnect.ca. You can go to my Twitter feed right now at Stubbs980, and you'll see a link there. 7 to 8 p.m. It's free. You can hear more from all three individuals. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3. 